always love being here. My wife is Born and raised in Greenville, but I'm a northerner, a transplant in some ways, in heart at least. Did live in South Carolina for a few years when we first got married. And overall, I prefer it you know, in, in so many ways. We're back up in the Philadelphia area now, which is where I grew up, the city of brotherly shove, as we call it. <laughs> yeah, you have to be on the lookout. Uh, you know, it's, it's always is a blessing, a privilege, anytime to, to share from God's Word, but we always love being here. Um, there's something about, you know, the, the hills and the, the environment that they have created. It, it, to us, it's always felt like home, you know, no matter where we were in the world. Uh, when we would be here, it would feel like we were back home, which is a really wonderful thing. Sometimes, you know, especially as a missionary, you don't really feel like you have a home in, in a lot of ways. You know, you're, we did, you know, at some point eight years into our stay in China, you feel at home in a lot of ways there, but you're still out of place, right? Like, like it didn't have that sense of you come there and you sort of let your hair down, so to speak, you know, and it always felt like that here, so uh, appreciative of, of the hills in so many ways. You know, uh, sharing yesterday, Greg and Kathy did our marriage counseling. They, Greg married us uh, almost 21 years ago now, so uh, sort of a long... It's, it's, it's an interesting thing to see, right? Like, um, some of, of their kids were in Sunday school when my wife was teaching and then for a short time there when I was involved in Sunday school. And then later on down the road, their kids taught our kids in Sunday school when we were back. You know, so it was just kind of seeing how the Lord has knit us together over the years is, is, a, is a beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah, so just really brief, I, I don't want to share a ton uh, of my testimony today, but I, I will uh, make reference to some things during our time overseas, so just a, a brief background. In, in 2006, uh, we moved overseas for the first time. We had felt prior to even being married that the Lord was calling us to the mission field, both of us individually. So 2006, we moved to Hungary. We were there for a year at Calvary Chapel has a uh, had at the time a, a smaller Bible school in southern Hungary that had a one-year missionary training program, and so we went through that for a year, and from there we moved directly from there to Ethiopia, thought that was going to be kind of our life's work there. Uh, God had other plans. We were only ended up in Ethiopia for about six months before we were back stateside, kind of lost. Where do we go? Where do we settle? Back in Carolina, back up where I'm from, and uh, Calvary Philly at that time sort of brought us in and, and embraced us, and um, we were there for a couple of years before the Lord opened the door in 2010 for us to go to China, and that's where we were for uh, eight years. We moved over there when my oldest was six, I think. She was six, and my youngest had not been born yet. He was born our first year there, so um, that's where my kids considered home. It's what they were most familiar with. And then 
2018, uh, my, my health deteriorated uh, enough to where um, after we tried you know, multiple surgeries in Hong Kong and then in mainland China, but I was, my health was failing. And so in talking with our church in, in Philly and getting wise counsel, we ended up moving back stateside in uh, 2018. The church in Philadelphia graciously um, brought us both on staff, me and the church, uh, as in the role of missions pastor, and then my wife, the, the church up there also has a, a K through 12 school, and my wife is a teacher by trade, and they brought her on in the high school. Um, she's a chemistry teacher. She's the smart one in the relationship, for sure. But that's a, a little bit briefly our testimony. In all those places, through successes and failures, the Lord has taught us so many things and opened our eyes to so many things and had us just embrace other other not just other cultures though that is part of it and seeing the beauty in that um but even even forcing us in a lot of ways to embrace other people from other denominations you know there's not a church in china there's not a church on every corner and uh, they have something i disagree with them on that i'm going to go find some place elsewhere I agree. You don't have those options, right? And so what it comes down to is a lot of times, does this person love Jesus, right? And if this person loves Jesus and I want to have some type of Christian fellowship, then I need to be able to overlook some of these minor things that, you know, we don't necessarily have to do here stateside. So the Lord grew us so many ways as it relates to that as well. Um, and, you know, all glory and honor to him. Six surgeries later, in 2018, three in China, three in the States, and uh, healthier now than I have been in many years, praise to the Lord. So um, I'm excited to be here with you guys, and we will be looking in the book of James today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to James chapter 1. I know it's got the end of the chapter that... Really famous verse, a lot of times missionaries teach on what true religion is. I'm not actually going to teach on that today. Uh, so just a, a quick, quick intro um, before we pray and get started. So the uh, book of James written by a man named James, yeah. Now there's a lot of James mentioned in the scriptures, uh, but by and large most of the scholars agree that this would be James the half-brother of the Lord, right? So think about that growing up in the house with Jesus, and then how that would also impact his writings as well, right? As we read through the book of James, that's at least somewhere in the background of our mind, the things that he saw growing up, right? The things that he didn't at the time realize what was happening, right? James, James isn't one of, uh, one of those guys who was on board with Jesus being Messiah, during his, you know, a, a large part of his, his earthly ministry, right? It wasn't until afterwards, and, and, and God um, really meets him, and he sees his brother for who he really was. So um, chapter one has so many phenomenal things, a lot of messages taught on. Um, he, he jumps right in with how a Christian should respond in various difficult situations, right? How does the Christian respond. Um, what do we do when we face trials, right? 
he tells us there that we, we count it as joy? What do we do when we face temptations that we endure? Right? And he's going to kind of continue in this vein of thought of how does the Christian respond to these various types of situations. And he talks a lot about godly character in the midst of difficult decisions and difficult choices that we have to make. And, and the truth is, guys, that life is full of difficult choices. But there is a good difficult and there is a bad difficult, right? There's really two paths that you can be on. You can be on a path of righteousness leading to eternal life, right? Or you can be on the path of darkness leading to eternal darkness. Those are the two paths that anyone walking can be on. That path of righteousness is very often a difficult path full of difficult choices that we have to make to stay on that path. But the ending destination of that, right, is eternal joy. So there is great difficulty that leads to joy. But the path of the ungodly is like the opposite of that. The path itself is an easy path often to stay on. The path of unrighteousness, the path of darkness, that's the easy path to stay on. But the end result of that path is great difficulty. The most difficult thing that is even possible, right? That eternal separation from God. So both of those paths are difficulty, right? One is I make difficult choices and an end result in joy and eternal life. The other is the path of ease that ends in the greatest difficulty you could ever imagine. Which of those difficulties do you want, right? We're faced with those choices. Uh, so I want to read, I'm going to look at verses 19 through 25 today. We'll read and then we'll pray. James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, that one will be blessed in what he does. Now, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. As Bill prayed earlier, Lord, any distractions, anything that's causing us anxiety, that's overwhelming us right now, Lord. Through your Holy Spirit, push those things out and speak to us now. We need your Spirit, Lord. Fall on us, I pray, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So James here, uh, what he does is, in, in verses 19 and 20, he gives a sequence of three characteristics of Christian character, and those things build on each other. So he says, so then, my beloved brethren, the first thing he says is, let every man be swift or quick to hear. In other words, I need to take time to listen. Because it's not just things going in one ear and out the other. It's this idea of, 
I'm considering what you're saying, and I'm actually trying to understand it. That should be my approach with my brothers and sisters when I'm in a conversation with them. You know, how many times have you gotten yourself into trouble because you weren't actually listening to what the person was saying, right? I think that happens all the time with my kids, right? It's like, you weren't actually listening. <laughs> like that, I took the trash out. I didn't ask you to take out the trash. I told you to vacuum. You're like, oh. <laughs> right? It's like, you weren't listening, and now you find yourself in trouble. And that happens to us as adults, not necessarily with the chores that we have to do. How many times have you thought somebody was saying something that they didn't actually say? Maybe you heard a rumor, but you didn't actually take the time to investigate the truth of that. And then you've reacted to it. And now what you find is, I've made a situation that really wasn't anything, or if I had taken the time to figure out what had actually happened, it would have been squashed then and there. But I didn't do that, and I reacted to it, and now the problem is worse, right? And James says that the Christian needs to be quick to hear, not quick to react. It's often referred to as the art of listening, and it's a skill that needs to be developed in us. The problem is most of us are self-centered. That's what it comes down to, right? I, I, I'm listening long enough to say what I actually want to say, right? You're talking, and, and I'm listening, but it's really just I'm waiting for the pause in your sentence so that I can throw in what I want to say. I'm not actually listening to what you're saying. So it's this art of listening, and it's quite powerful, Especially if there's somebody that's hurting. What they really need is not necessarily even your advice. Sometimes they do, right? But the hurting person oftentimes doesn't need advice. What they need is somebody who's actually just going to genuinely listen to them. And it's a skill that I need to cultivate in my life. The art of listening. Truly focusing. Being other-centered, not self-centered. You know, if you're in a conversation with a friend, you need to give them your undivided attention. It means a lot. And they notice, right? You can pick up on when somebody is not actually paying attention to what you're saying. You know, if somebody's pouring out the heart to you, <laughs> don't check your cell phone. It's a really common thing, right? But nothing says, I don't really care about what you're saying. Like somebody who, when you're saying something, they pull out their phone and they look at it, right? Put it away. The second thing that he says there is that we need to be quick to hear, but slow to speak. You see, when I don't take the time to actually listen to somebody, what that leads to is me responding too quickly, oftentimes saying something stupid, saying something that I regret. Um... Our last year in China, it was, it was after I had had the second surgery in Hong Kong. It was the day that I was being discharged from the hospital back to mainland China. Um, I found out that the, the principal of the school that we were involved with in China, his wife had passed away that day. Just um, 
they essentially found her uh, dead in, in their apartment there in China. A couple, I had been home for a couple of days, and I was, I was um, admittedly, I was a wreck. I, I was physically still really sick, but just kind of consumed with um, self-pity, right? Having a pity party for myself, woe is me, all of this bad stuff always happens to me. Why can't I catch a break? All of these sorts of things. And this guy, Mike, he, he called me up. It was maybe two days after his wife had passed away, right? And he calls me up, and I'm just in this state. I feel terrible, and the truth is I, I didn't really want to talk to him, right? Just because I'm mentally, I'm, I'm, I was off, right? And he starts off the conversation like a normal conversation would be, and he says, how are you doing? And me, just my quick sort of snarker response to that was, well, I'm alive. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, you know, I realized what I had done. You know, this was maybe two days after his wife had just died. And I was thinking to myself, Steve, you idiot, right? Like you're consumed with your own self-pity and you just snap off this response to him. And I could like, I could hear his, you know, his voice kind of break on the other end of the phone, right? And I, and I had to apologize right away. I said, Mike, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. It was one of those things that was just, man, just quick to say the first thing that came to mind, right? He was actually calling me to ask if I would share something at his wife's funeral. And I, because of my snappy response, I said something that was hurtful to him in that moment. And I had to ask for his forgiveness. You know, I, I need to be quick to listen, but slow in my response to people. You know, when I'm quick to respond, it's usually out of my own impulses, which can very easily be wrong. So I need to take time. I need to think about my response in a difficult situation because how you respond will also often dictate how that person then responds to me and how the rest of the situation unfolds. Um, you know, before we moved overseas, the first time we had a lot of stuff that we needed to do in order for that to happen. Uh, I had a, a small business down in Charleston. I had a pest control business, and I had arranged this deal to sell the business. I was, it was maybe a week and a half before we were supposed to leave. The deal was, was going to close. I was actually selling it back to the guy that I had bought it from. Um, and, you know, we sat down at that meeting, and almost right off the bat, he starts saying all these things essentially to drive the, the already agreed upon price down. And he started like making all sorts of accusations. Um, it, I, I don't want to get into it fully because it still gets me upset a little bit when I think about it too much, which isn't good. I maybe have a little bit of bitterness in my heart still towards this guy. But he started making these accusations and how I was trying to rip him off and how my plan was after we came, like we were going to come back from overseas and I was going to steal the clients back. And he, he starts like saying all this sorts of stuff. And everything within me, I wanted to just like jump across the table and, and you know, he was a bigger guy than me, but I could have done something within that. But I knew in that moment, and I felt 
the Holy Spirit is just was like, Steve, don't do it, right? Even in my words, back to him. And it was difficult because I knew, you know, we're a week away or 10 days away from leaving. If this deal falls through, there's nobody else that can buy, you know, all of that that was necessary to have that money, all that sort of stuff. And it was in that moment I just really felt the Holy Spirit saying, like, if you act out in the flesh here, it's going to, it's going to throw everything off course. So even though I felt like I was being wronged in that situation, if I had responded back to that in the flesh, it was going to cause a much greater issue. Um, and that's the third thing that it says here, is we need to be slow to anger, slow in our wrath to that, right? When I respond too quickly or too harshly to someone, what's their typical response back to me? It's usually not good, right? You know, if somebody says something and I jump on them for their response, does that diffuse the situation or does that make the situation worse? It, it majority of the time, makes that situation worse, right? And so we see this now, these three things building on each other. When I'm quick to listen, to really hear what someone is saying, but I'm slow and measured in my response, this is going to go a long way in somebody's attitude back towards me. And there are so many difficult situations that wouldn't be nearly as bad. Because the truth is, people often will react to my actions and my reactions. Anger produces anger. Wrath produces wrath. And that's not my heart as a believer. That's not how I'm to approach these situations, right? I'm quick to hear, but slow in my response and slow in my actions towards them, slow to anger. And verse 20 uh, gives us the reason for that there. It says, uh, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath, my anger in a situation, will not produce a righteous result. Now, I can respond in anger and get the result that I want. I can do that, right? It happens all the time as parents. Lots of parents can do it in that way. I can get really angry at my kids and make them do what I want. But that's not going to produce righteousness in their life. Now, I don't want people obeying me because they're afraid of me. That's not what I'm looking for in my kids, right? Not a, not, there, there should be a fear of consequences. That's a separate thing. You know, there's, there's kind of four primary motivating factors for obedience in, in the life of our kids and in our lives as well, right? That fear of punishment, the hope of reward, and the sense of duty, and then out of love, right? And we're progressing through that. And particularly when they're younger, that fear of consequence and... and the hope of reward are the really important aspects of disciplining a child. But there's a difference between that child being afraid of a consequence and actually being afraid of me. And I think about the times that you maybe have responded in wrath as a parent. Right? Maybe you have actually been disciplined in wrath. And if you ever have had that happen to you, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's a very different thing. So I need to be careful because responding in wrath, that can really, it can, it can ruin my testimony before other people. You know, uh, another, another China story. Um, 
So for our visas, we worked at this international school, had about 500 students. And um, last year, our last year there, I, I was one of the heads of school. And um, so the way that the school was set up, there were three large buildings. There was, you know, there was a, a, like a pre-K building, there was an elementary building, there was a high school building. Um, between the pre-K and the elementary building, there was a large carport. It was often rainy in the city that, that we were in. And so the buses would pull up kind of two at a time. They would stop under the carport. The kids would get off the buses. And then it would be like two minutes of chaos. Like kids are getting off and they're going all different directions, right? And so most of the time, teachers, administrators would be there helping the kids, you know, just get to their different places. Little kids are part of that. Three years old, four-year-old, five-year-olds, right? And so I was out there one day, and these kids are getting off the bus, and the bus driver starts, like, inching his way forward, essentially. Like, I want to, and, and there's, you know, there's four and five-year-olds. So, you know, I, I tapped, and I said, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, you know, like, let the kids, let the kids go by. So he stopped for a second, and then he starts pushing forward again. And, and I said, whoa, you know, stop, stop. And then he did it a third time. And he starts going forward, and there was like a, a little kid, and I grabbed the kid, and I kind of slapped on the hood of the bus, and I, was, and I just kind of gave him like, like the come on kind of look. And he, uh, and he flipped me off, he, and that like, it sent me into an instant anger, wrath, rage, you know. You're not going to flip me off. I'm going to flip you off. No, I, I didn't actually... That's what I was feeling in my heart, and actually, and what I did was there was a there was a a, a Chinese assistant was was out there with us, and and my Mandarin was actually decent at that time. But I walked up the bus and I grabbed our friend Lily, and I said, "Lily, I want you to translate everything that I say to this guy," and I was I was angry, and I don't remember even what I said, but I remember like Lily's expression on her face. She was like this wide-eyed. And I, I lit into that guy, and he, I don't know what he must have been thinking, right? And I felt good afterwards <laughs> until I really started to think about it, right? And at some point, I had to go to Lily, and I, and I apologized to her. We, were, we helped lead her to the Lord a couple years prior to that. And she actually didn't care. She was like, oh, I liked it. They do, the <laughs> they do that all the time. It was about time somebody told them. And I had to explain to her. I said, Lily, Lily, it, it wasn't good what they were doing. But the way that I reacted to that was not good. And the truth is now when I think about that and I look back and I say, man, I might be the only Christian that that guy's ever had any interaction with. And when I think about it, I have to pray and say, God, send him somebody else who will be a better testimony, a better witness of Jesus than I was to him. That's the truth of the matter there, right? He was wrong in what he was doing. I was right to protect those kids, but the way that I acted, because I was offended, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm the head of the school here. I could get you fired. You know, all this sorts of stuff that's running through my mind. 
That's not the mind of Christ. And, and, and that was an issue, right? And so I pray for that guy, that, that somebody else will, will bring a better witness than I was to him. Verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Therefore, because of these things that he just said, I am to lay aside, he says two things here, and to lay aside the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, but instead of that, as I'm laying those things aside, I have to replace that with something. So I lay aside filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and I replace that uh, with the implanted word, receive with meekness the implanted word. You know, the world is, is striving to implant something in us, right? And it's filthiness. And that overflow of wickedness. Filthiness takes on, on many forms. Uh, it, it comes in what we watch and what we listen to and what we consume, what, what I meditate on, what I set my affection on. When I allow those things to infiltrate the filthiness of the world, the result of that is an overflow of wickedness in my life. You know, it, it is impossible for me to fill my mind with, with thoughts of violence, with thoughts of lust, with, with terrible images, with, with bad lyrics, with, with things of terror or fear or thoughts of condemnation, or even just utter nonsense. It's impossible to fill my mind with those things and not have them come out or manifest in some way in my life. You know, it, it's like filling a balloon. balloon. A balloon is designed to have air put inside of it, right? That's the purpose of it. But what happens when you fill that balloon too much is that it reaches that point, the bursting point, right? And where does a, a balloon burst? It bursts at its weakest point. That's where it's going to pop, right? And that's how this filthiness is in our lives. It will find a weak spot. And that's different for us. That can be different, right? Your weak spot might actually be different from mine. So it depends how it comes out. And you see, some, some people filling their minds with filthiness, it comes out in lust. Some people, it comes out in anger. Some people, it comes out in anxiety or depression or all of these other things. When I'm filling my mind with this stuff, with these sinful things, it will find that weak point in my life and it will come out in some way. But instead of that, right, what he says here, instead of... Uh, being nourished by the world, I am supposed to receive the word that's been implanted in me. All of you, young, old, uh, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you have heard the word. Maybe for the younger people, they, they got it in, in maybe in, even in a Christian school or home school, or you've gotten it in your church, and that has been implanted inside of you, and it's like a seed, right? And, and if I nourish that seed of God's word in my life, it becomes life-giving and fruit-bearing. If you want your life to mean something, then I need to nourish the word that's been implanted there in my life. What am I nourishing? The filthiness? Because that will overflow in wickedness. Or if I'm nourishing the word, it says here, that is what's able to save my soul, right? 
In verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And this is really the key, to be a doer of the word. You know, there are a lot of times there are people who can recognize that they're struggling in their walk with the Lord, you know, um, wondering why your life, why your relationship with him isn't that good, why you keep falling, failing to temptation, falling to it. It's not usually because of a lack of knowledge, right? It's from a lack of action. If you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with lust or whatever, and I came to you and says, oh, the Bible says that you shouldn't be doing that. For most of you, will be like, what? I never knew that I shouldn't be looking at that kind of stuff. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of action. See, just knowing what the Bible says isn't enough. Right? If you think that it is enough, what this verse tells you is, is you've deceived yourself. You understand what that means, right? That I can convince myself, fully convinced, that everything is good because I'm a Christian, because I go to church or a Christian school or whatever it is. Some of you maybe right now are breezing along as if everything is fine, right? That's a very dangerous place to be because you think that everything's okay when it's actually not. And we don't want to be self-deceived. Deceiving yourself, right? on the path to ruin and you don't even realize it because you've deceived yourself for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was someone who is a hearer only sees what they want to see now the analogy it seems a little bit ridiculous who could stare at themselves in the mirror walk away and immediately you know forget what they looked like but that's the point you know, I could read all the scriptures about sexual immorality and the punishments that it brings and the hardships that it brings and the pain and the emotional damage that it can do, and I can go right out from there and walk and fall into temptation. It's the same thing as this mirror, right? This is what God says. This is all the problems that are awaiting you, but boom, you go and you do it anyway, right? It's like that person who immediately forgot what I just read, all the things that I know, and yet I'm still going and doing this thing that I know is going to bring damage and destruction because God is true to his word, right? But, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. In contrast to that, he who looks, and it's an interesting phrase, into the law of liberty. When we think of liberty, we think of what? Freedom, right? The law of freedom that almost seems to contradict itself there. You see, there, there is, there's a kind of freedom, almost like a shadow freedom, a false freedom that leads people into bondage. And this is the freedom that the world offers. But true freedom comes from following Christ. And that leads to life, right? See, God has created us with free will. I am able, I am free to choose to follow the path that God lays out for me. But I'm also able, I'm free to choose not to follow that path. I have the freedom not to follow God. And that's actually is a false freedom, right? It promises all of these things to you. Do what you want. Be happy, right? You do you. Live your truth. This is like a made-up phrase, right? You hear that all, 
so much now, well, this is my truth, right? You don't have an exclusive right to truth. Usually, when you hear somebody say that, that phrase, it's, it's an attempt to comfort them in their sin and the thing that they're doing. Well, this is my truth. Well, you're not, I'm sorry, but you're not the person who determines what truth is. Follow your heart, right? <laughs> well, scripture says my heart's desperately wicked. Right? Usually that's a mistake. <laughs> Those are all promises of a false freedom that actually leads to bondage. That's, the world, that's what the world is screaming at us, though, all of these things, to follow these things. Don't be caught up in, in those old, that old religious system, right? People are trapped in that. If we could open our spiritual eyes to see what was really happening, this false freedom, right? If people could only see all the people that are out there who are against Christ and claim, claiming that they have these freedoms. In the spiritual sense, if you could see all those people, they'd be all marching together, chained, heading to darkness, heading off the edge of a cliff, right? In the spiritual reality, and there is a spiritual reality, that's what's happening. All the people who are saying, if you do this, you will actually be free. It's a temporary, fleeting freedom that's leading you into bondage. But on the other side of that, one of the greatest revelations we could ever have is that true freedom is actually found in surrender. When I surrender my thoughts, my hopes, my dreams to Jesus, he takes that, and what he's able to do, he's able to give us new thoughts and hopes and dreams. And what we find is, is that in that lies true freedom, right? Because I'm no longer striving to do something on my own. I'm no longer striving to conform to the world, to be just like everyone else who thinks that they're free, but you will actually be free in surrender to Christ, the law of liberty, right? And the hopes and dreams that he gives you will be far greater than anything that you could imagine for yourself. What this verse says is that person, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, who doesn't shy away from actually doing what the word says, that person will be blessed. As you sit here today, many of you find yourself as probably hearers of the word. But if you're honest, maybe you haven't really been a doer of the word. It's maybe not consistently. And there's a lot of people that have abused the freedom that God has given us, and maybe you find yourself trapped in sin or weighed down by the world, and you're saying, how do I get out? Right? You have to become a doer of the word. Now, there isn't a single issue you will face in your life that the scripture doesn't deal with either directly or in principle. And so you need to nourish that word that's been implanted in you, but then you need to live it out. You know, if you struggle with lust, what does the scripture say? It gives us the example of Joseph who fled, right? He didn't, he didn't stick around. He didn't mess around with it, see how close to the line that he could get with it, right? Second Timothy says, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness. Romans 13 says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't even give it an opportunity to get in there. Have you done that? If that's your struggle, you have to ask yourself, do I flee or do I keep it close? The phone is a source of, of struggle for you. 
Is it, is it on your hip 24 hours a day? Do you sleep with it by your bedside at night, right? It's opening a door if that's your struggle. Am I making provision for the flesh or do I let my mind become a playground for these things? Here's the thing, guys. If you haven't done the things that the scripture says, you're going to continue to struggle because you're not actually being a doer of the word. If you struggle with anger, with anger, Ephesians 4 says, be angry and sin not, right? I don't act out on that in a sinful way. Uh, it, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Talked about that a little bit this weekend. You've had a fight with, some, with someone, you don't let that linger. You do what's necessary to make that right. There might be an appropriate time for that, right? But we don't let the sun go down on our anger. Do you put that into practice? Because if you don't, you're not actually being a doer of the word, and you're still going to struggle with those things, right? Proverbs 15 says, A gentle word turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. And if that's your struggle, if anger is your issue, you've got to ask yourself, are you, are you allowing your words to make things worse? Are you refusing to forgive someone or trying to make things right? Right? You're going to struggle because struggle you're not being a doer of the word. If you have a problem with language, Colossians 3 says, rid your lips of impure things. Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Are we being doers of the word? If not, you're going to struggle with those things. Struggle with anxiety or fear. Right? Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing. Everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. If you're struggling with those things, and you haven't done what God's word says, you're not being a doer of the word, right? You feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. First Peter says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you, right? Matthew 11 says, come to me, all you who are weary, take my yoke upon and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, we, we can come to these things in scriptures and, and look at our life and look at the hand that we've been dealt and think, you know, I know what I should be doing, but it's just really, really hard. I know what I should be doing. It's really hard to do it. I struggle with this sin for so long, I don't know if I can ever get out of it. I know what the scripture says, but it's too difficult, right? Again, all of life is about these difficult choices. There's a good difficult and there's a bad difficult, right? Even in the practical, for the athlete to wake up early, to stay late, to put in the extra practice, it's difficult. Discipline his body in that way. It's difficult, but it leads to him being a better player, a better athlete, better teammate, right? It's also difficult when the other team pushes you around and outruns you and knocks you down to the floor. That's difficult too. Which of those difficulties would you rather have at the end of the day? You know, to set yourself on a, up on a good schedule is difficult, right? To go to bed at a reasonable hour, to wake up early, to spend time with the Lord, it's difficult to discipline my body in that way. But guess what? Being tired all the time, not having a personal time with the Lord, not being filled with the Spirit, that's difficult too. Which of those difficulties would you rather have, right? Some of us maybe need to detox from our phones, right? I'm not going to use it today for a whole day. I'm going to put it aside. I'm not going to let it distract me. Some, this would be a really, really difficult thing to do, right? 
But again, realizing you just wasted hours playing games or scrolling through social media, making yourself anxious or jealous or sad or difficult uh, uh, or guilty, that's really difficult too. Which of those difficulties do you want, right? The path of being a doer of the word is often a difficult one, but the end of that is something good and glorious and filling and satisfying and life-giving. There's an easy path, that path of the false freedom. But the end result of that is an even greater difficulty, a worse difficulty of pain and bondage. You could choose which of those difficulties you want, right? I'll just I'll end a little long here I'll end with kind of one last thing. We, we had moved, we were two years in, we moved to a city, uh, Kunming, China. A couple of people in the back have actually been there uh, previously. But we moved there and, and um, it, was, it was a struggle on our two years in that city. And it was a, at some point, uh, I think during, during our second year, I'm a, I'm a fairly even-keeled person. I, I don't get really high highs. I don't have really low lows. Um, I've never really struggled with uh, mental issues. But I started having these problems, maybe not every day, every, every evening, every other evening, every two or three days, something like that, where I, there was this sense of like... Uh, a dark cloud coming down on me. And I never experienced anything like that before. And it was, it was such a heavy feeling, and it drove me to a place of, I, I don't even really know how to describe it. it was, I could sense it when it was happening. That evening, I could feel it coming on. And when it did, it would shut me down completely. I would ignore my family. Um, or I would be very quick-tempered with them. It took away all ambition, all desire, everything. It just would shut me down. And that went on for a couple of months, and I, and I didn't know what was happening, and I was becoming angry. And I'm teaching this Bible study to Chinese believers, and I'm teaching through the book of Philippians, and teaching through Philippians 4 about being anxious for nothing and all this sort of stuff, and... Uh, at some point, my wife just got sick of it, and she, she can have that element to her where she will speak the truth, right, when it's necessary. And I remember her one evening when, I was, when that had happened to me, and she just came over to me, and, and it, was, it was fairly blunt, and she said, do you actually believe what you're teaching? Like, I'm teaching Philippians 4 to these people. And that didn't sit well with me, you know, to have someone say something like that. I was immediately kind of angry with her. I said, of course, right? Of course I believe it. Who do you think you are? And she said, well, then you need to start acting like it. And I was angry, right? But as I sat with that, the truth of that statement really hit home. I'm not acting like I believe those things to be true. Now, it was an unusual situation. I didn't really know what was happening, but I knew what God's word said about not being anxious for everything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, I make my requests known to God. And so what I had to do was I needed to be a doer of the word. And so that's what I started to do when I would sense that feeling coming on, and I didn't know what was happening, right? And I didn't even know how to pray, and I would just say, God, help me here. I don't know what to pray, but I need your help. 
And that started to become the habit that I would get into instead of isolating myself and sulking and all of those sort of things. I started taking God at his word and saying, come to me with these things. And God healed me of that. It wasn't an immediate thing, right? But my prayers began to get longer. That time that that feeling was over me started to become shorter until eventually I was healed from that. And even now, there's some times where I can still start to have that in the evenings, but now I've learned to take God at his word. And so I immediately take that to prayer. And I say that to say this, there are legitimate mental things that happen where people have chemical imbalances in the brain and, and medications are a help for that. What I needed was not medication. My issue was a sin issue. My issue was I was my issue was that I was being hypocritical towards the things I knew to be true. I was teaching one thing, but I wasn't acting that out. And so the cure for me was I needed to be a doer of God's word. Right? And so much, it's like the plague on our young people in this generation seems to be anxiety and depression and these sort of things. And my personal opinion, again, I'm obviously not a medical professional, is that a lot of those are sin-related issues that are self-created. And it's, and it's just as common in the Christian community as well. And the truth is, I think for a, a lot of young people, and the same for us, whatever we're going with, most of the time the issue would be resolved if I was a doer of the word. You already know what you're supposed to be doing. Are you going to to make those difficult choices and do what's necessary to honor God, to take him at his word, and to do what his word tells us to do? Because if I haven't done that, if I've tried all of these other things before doing that, it's like I've, I've taken the backwards route to try to solve my issues when this is the first thing. God's word should be the first approach to it. What is actually, I'm struggling with something. What does God's word actually say about this and how should I deal with it? If that's not our first response, then we need to retrain our brains. Right? Going on the internet to try to solve your problems, this 99% of the time, that's a mistake, right? But a lot of us, that's our first response. Oh, this is going on. What What does Mr. Google say about this, right? Oh, where does that take you? Most of the time, down some rabbit trail that you're like, oh, you feel worse than when you started. So the majority of us, guys, we need to be doers of the word. Amen? And, and so if there's anything that I, I would like for you guys to take today is, is there somewhere in my life where I know what I should be doing and I'm not actually doing it? Because the truth is, until I take the steps of obedience in that way, there's going to be other areas of my life, I feel like, oh, God, I'm not hearing clearly from you over here. And God's saying, step into what I've asked you to do over here first. When I step into obedience in that, then I'm going to reveal the next step or how you should handle this situation. But if you're not being obedient to what I'm telling you to do over here, don't expect that I'm going to you know, give you the magic response to how to handle this. Step into what I've asked you to do. Be obedient to the things that you know, and he'll give you the next step after that. So is there an area of your life where you need to start being a doer of the word? Amen? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, is something that we all need help with, Lord. So I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, if there's something that you pointed out in somebody's heart today, that they would leave from this place with that as their foundational point, Lord. I am going to be a doer of your word. And when we take those steps to honor you, Lord, we trust that you're going to come alongside and give us the strength to do what's necessary when we honor your word. Take this, Lord. Work it into our lives. Help us to live it out, to be shining lights to the world around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.